Welcome to the Feral Minds Podcast. You are right where you need to be, and we are glad you're here. Come seek with us as we laugh at what we have known and find direction from what our curiosities demand we learn. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to the discussion. So the other interesting part about that area of Oklahoma is, is there some representation of the, the gigantic squatch or the myth that is the squatch? Do, do you believe? Have you seen? I'm not a believer. No. You're not I a mean, believer. No, okay. I'm, I'm a non-believer. I think the, the world is round. I think uh, <laughs> yeah. squash well probably does not exist. There are some people that are diehard fans. I want to believe. I'll be honest. Hey, I mean, I'll tell you I what I want to do. I'd love to believe. I want to hunt for it. Yeah. I, 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 that's the fun of the belief is that you get to go do the hunt. Spook yourself and in the, the hunting for the Sasquatch sounds yeah. like some I, fun activity. I love the idea. I mean, I'm, I've seen, I'm sure you guys have seen that meme on Facebook. It's got Sasquatch and it's like, Believe in yourself when nobody else will. <laughs> That's, I mean, I, I love that. that is I, I, great. Would, I would like to believe it. I'm just, the reality is, don't think it's out there, guys. Hey, yeah. But yeah. they tried, though. I mean, I love the, that they tried to monetize it a little bit. They tried to get the government involved. They wanted to start selling permits did they so just, that you could All hunt. they did, they pulled a Roswell. They pulled a Roswell the way Roswell's done it. If you get a little bit of culture around an area, then you'll get people to stop and buy a t shirt. And, and that is just, Humans throwing up business in the way that they can with whatever geography that they have available. But I've always wanted Bigfoot to be real. When I was a kid, man, Unsolved Mysteries was like, that was like mother's milk for me, man. I, I would nestle up to an Unsolved Mystery, and I just want all those things that are imaginary. I want them to come to life. But in the back of my mind, I know we would have found a dead one by now, right? I would think, man. What if they're good you enough know, that we can't catch them? What if they're? What if we evolve into a squatch? Could be a mythical creature. Well, you've I seen Predator, know. right? What if they just sort of change color to where you can't? Like they could be the most amazing hidden aliens. But I want them ever. to be. I want them to be friendly. Like I, if they're going to come back and just mug us because an eight foot squatch. Like we we don't. I mean, that's going to take more rounds Man, than I, I even. I, again, I don't know. I've been there forty three years. I think I've seen every natural wildlife animal on the side of the road at some point or another mm -hmm. haven't seen bigfoot now when i was in high school again this is a very rural area right so uh, a lot of the kids would go out and there's hundreds of thousands of acres of nothing there's no utilities there's no houses it's just dirt roads and trees yeah. so a lot of the guys would get together and we'd go 10 20 miles out in these wide open places and have a fire and drink beer Right, live the life of a teenager. Yeah, I'll never. I've Small got, town life yeah, of a teenager. I've got a lot of crazy stories, but this one I well, I wanted to save since you were talking about the squash because this is probably a possible sighting if there was one. We're way out in the middle of nowhere. Got a little bonfire, drinking beer. Probably five or six guys and girls. This dude walks up, walks up from nowhere. <laughs> I'm talking nowhere. We're 20 miles from anything. Walks up, hey, can I have a beer? You bet your ass, buddy. Here, you can <laughs> have mine. morphs out of nowhere, yeah. you give that person what they ask Walks for. up to the fire, drinks his beer, thank you, disappears into the black. Wow. Yeah. And, and y'all just, just sit there and wonder? Drink some more beer. Maybe oh, he'll come back. I don't, what, what do you do? <laughs> what don't, do you do? Absolutely. The first thing you do as a teenager, you figure out, am I going to get in trouble? 
But this is some rogue adult who's just rolling up on on rural kids. Yeah, man, I think there's some I think there's some walkers out there. I'm not talking about walkers. I think there are people that roam the land. I've had a similar experience in Binger. Uh, a buddy and I were hunting and fishing one day, and the same thing, man. You know, alcohol's involved. So we we like if alcohol's involved, then to be honest, the witness is a little bit. You know, are they qualified or not? It depends. And you and I don't know how much depends is all over it. But so this. We're, we're fishing at a little pond, me and this one other dude. We would fish and we would shoot at anything that looked like it needed the breath removed from it. We would take a shot at it. And so I come out of this tent, and it's dark and it's hazy, and I look up and there's a silhouette on a ridgeline down the road from us. And it's a human. I can see it moving. It's about 2.30 in the morning, and no, I mean, I'm still lit up. There's no time. I probably stopped drinking it about 15 minutes prior. But there's a human. I see it. I see the form off in the distance. And I can see him moving because he's lit by the, by the moon. And so I wake my friend up, and I'm like, come on, dude. We, I, I don't know what the guy's doing, but there's a guy looking at us. And we're in the woods. We're probably about 15 miles away from the, the town. And he's so drunk, he's like, whatever. What's he going to do? And it leaves me nothing to conclude that, well, okay, I guess that's reasonable logic. So I go back, crawl in the tent, pass out. We talked to his grandpa who owns the land the following day. And he's like, no, nah, man, there are people that walk the land. And I'm like, so what I saw was real? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. You'll see people walking the land. It's what they do. And I'm, it blew my mind. It what? blew my mind. This was nothing extraterrestrial. Right. I don't know what kind of person that is. I have no idea. I just know I saw the person, and then later it was confirmed there were walkers. That's interesting. It sounds almost like what you're talking about is just, just small-town homeless. Like this is what because oh, whenever, I don't know if whenever out you're gathering blueberries, I don't know what they're doing. Well, man. when you're I'm big, just, city, just walking, and you go homeless, you, yeah. you've got overpasses, you got little drainage pipes under the road, you got places you go. High. But if you're homeless out in the middle of nowhere and you don't know your neighbors, what are you doing? Do they have maybe homeless maybe people? we sold? Sasquatch. Oh yeah, just homeless people in rural areas. Yeah, and there's I'll, I'll put my two cents in on this. I was talking to some of my some of the guys I worked with the other day. We had some. A lot like up here, they're starting to move down, and at the Yugo Walmart, there'll be a couple people panhandling, mm-hmm. and there's no excuse for it. So all the small communities have a lot of, they've got a little local churches, local help things. Yeah. That you can get clothes, you can get food, you can get money, you can get a job. You can get anything yeah. but alcohol or drugs. There, there is now <laughs> hiring is signs yeah. everywhere. There's no reason to be out there panhandling, right? Yeah. Even if yeah. you've got a mental disability or something else. There's better things for you. So yeah. I, I, I really look – this sounds terrible, but I have zero patience for that, man. Yeah. We're trying to figure it out. I, I don't know – it's changed in our life. It's like there, there were times you, you didn't see anybody on the corner. You, it was rare. And in fact, it was, it would, you'd make a joke about it. And now we see collectives of people on their underpasses. And you and I are both curious about this. This is something we plan on diving into in, in certain episodes. We, we don't know – what the cause is, what the solution is, but it is something that's growing on us. It's something that was small and is now it's now trending in the wrong direction. So it's something we're curious about. Want to understand? Um, yeah, want to understand. Like what what is the suffering behind this? Is it is it a choice? Is it too much time under non caring circumstance? Like if you remove thousands of hours of love from somebody, do they just go find love with whatever substance will make them tingle? What 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 is this? It's just growing. Are these people that lived a life that had a mortgage and that had a job, and at some point in time they said, ah, 
I'm out. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll be in the wind if you need me. If you, if you, if I roll back through my life, what would have gotten me close to getting to that point? And but it, it would have been corporate burnout. You know, I, there was a time whenever I wake up every morning knowing you have to go into a job that you're completely not wanting to do. It'll put you in a place that you'd rather just stay the heck with it all. I'd rather just go walk the earth and and not have anything to worry about. But in order to get to that place, I had to already be at a pretty dark, depressed, burnt-out place where I was. You know, that's the weight of these big companies. And we talk about burnout. Everybody talks about burnout because you get put in these positions or, you're, or you want to be in these positions, and they're just— They they're, strive for them and then start liking they're it. They're never-ending. They just consume you day and night. And if you let it bleed into your family life, now it's a big problem, right? Yeah, yeah. But small businesses— you very rarely hear of a small business guy going through burnout. They've got a passion for what they do. Yep. They care about what they do. They live it 24-7 for 20 years, still don't get burnout. Even when they retire, they still want to be a part of that. Yeah. So it's the weight of all these big businesses and all these policies and all these procedures that people like yourself have zero control over, but you're held accountable to. And you're rolling the dice with your time, your youth, all your energy to giving every bit of it to this corporation to hope that you're going to hit some jackpot on the back end. They're going to they're going to retire you. You know, used to there was pensions, <laughs> you know, and they're yeah, they're completely lost. they're completely. Gone. Uh, and, and I think what one of the things that you hit on there is when you're this burnout idea is we're really adaptable as humans and, and we will suffer through a lot. But the suffering has to have a cause. And so when you get in a large corporation and you're suffering, you begin to lose track of what the cause is. Because like you said, it's never ending. There will be another year. There will be another quota. If you sold that much, you need to sell more. There's always a little stretch of where you are, and it's hard to see where this ever ends. And am I really doing something for myself, or am I forsaking myself in a way that I'm yet to really awaken to? I think it, it varies with the individual. For myself, it started because I wanted to grow. I wanted to grow my career, grow my path. And I'm not saying I got burnout. I've enjoyed every position I've ever held. I wanted it, and I enjoyed it, and I grew in that position, and I learned a lot. Mistakes usually is how I learned, unfortunately. <laughs> my favorite way to learn this way. <laughs> but I learned a lot. And as you, as you transgress through those different stations, if you will, and positions, then some people get hung up in it. They're in that position and they don't like it, but they can't go anywhere else financially. They're burdened. They've got to keep the paycheck coming. Uh, that that really gets tough right there. My, my heart goes out to anybody in that position. But there's always opportunity. You can move laterally. You can move back down. There's always a way out. Don't trap yourself in there, man. That'd yeah. be my advice. Because yeah. you got into that point with, with, with a heavy equipment corporation and then sort of worked your way out, back in. Haven't you sort of danced both sides? Yeah, I've, here, I've, right? I've been in and out of it. for. I've worked for the dealerships, these heavy equipment dealerships, for on and off the last 20 years, 25 years, give or take. And again, had... Had good success. You're, you're a, but let's back up one little step. You're a technician by trade. Yes. And you learned that how? So, again, it kind of goes to the rural area, right, okay. where everybody there is hands-on. They grew up around So you equipment. didn't Votech. You just, you've been cranking wrench your whole life. No, I, I went to, uh, so I graduated, went to high school, went to an FFA convention. Okay. And a dealership had a little booth set up. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm from very meager backgrounds. My parents aren't rich. We're from a very rural area. And they're like, hey, we'll pay for part of your college if you'll go be a part of this, and then we'll pay when you get out. And I'm like, 
hey, that sounds good to me because I can't afford to do anything else. So took a chance on it. I've never looked back. It's been a very rewarding. That was career. a technical college you went to. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Kind of the evolution of Votech. So we touched on Votech. I'm a product of Votech. You you would find that hard to believe, but I'd nearly uh, well, I was coming off the rails in high school, and a Votech kind of saved me because it allowed me to learn that my mind and my body can work together. I thought my mind was just trapped inside these books, which were trapped inside these classrooms, which were trapped inside these opinions of teachers. And when I got Votech on me. Though I turned out to be one of the world's lousiest technicians, man. To say that I have the skill to even vacuum a floor mat is probably giving me a little too much credit. But in a funny way, you end up working in a technical space, right? And so you don't know why you're developing something that doesn't feel correct at the time because you don't have the ability to see the entire map of your life. And, and one thing that we have, we've talked about a few times that I think is just an incredibly missed opportunity is the idea of Votech. And Votec or a technical college. So a technical college is a little advanced version of Votec. So they have a degree, right? Associate, yes, yes. Associate degree comes with it. And I would say your technical training is probably going to be a notch above a Votec, maybe? Yeah, you, you know, most of the, the college training there, it's, it's in alignment with whatever program you're in. So like mine had technical writing because as a technician, you have to be able to write these service reports, explain what the failure is. And I'll shout out to all the technicians and all the trade people out there, man. You've got these especially technicians, whether it's automotive, heavy equipment, aircraft, whatever. They're out there, and they're having to reverse engineer with a two-year degree and whatever experience they've got. These machines that these companies have spent millions and millions and millions of dollars designing with hundreds of thousands of engineers over years, they throw it out there and it breaks. Here comes Tyler. Fix it. It's got a problem. Yeah. All right, man. Let's go. And I think in a field truck world, the if you grew up around the show MacGyver, every field technician is a MacGyver. Like they're going out there with limited resource, and like you said, when you get there, we don't care what you don't have. Fix it. And then I think the cool part of that job is you get to put the cape on, and you get to fix it. And then when when the technician shows up, it always felt like to me, everybody kind of honored that dude. Because the rest of us, on the outside, we can see what the physics are doing, but we don't understand the physics. I, I know it's going down into the pit, and I know it's coming back with aggregate, but I don't know the physics within the machine. And technicians know the f- physics within the machine. So I almost looked at them as like the wizards of that world because they saw the other side. There was a curtain there for me. I didn't know the other side of the curtain. The technicians knew both sides of the curtain. Yeah, all those guys are, it's just, it's unbelievable what they can get accomplished with what they've got. There's some tremendously intelligent technicians out there across across all of the industries. But again, from my background in the heavy equipment side, it's very impressive to see what any of them can do with the resources they've got at hand yeah. and the things they're working on. It's very impressive. It's impressive that the the Egyptians built the pyramids. But the fact that two technicians could tear down a triple seven and put it back together in the mine or around the mine, you just look at the physics dynamics of two technicians, and that's amassing 400 pounds, depending on the technician. They are taking on hundreds of thousands of pounds, and they're doing it in a way that puts it back to something that's similar to its original self and that will function again through a second life. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the one of the sayings that the technicians have whenever, especially when a new technician comes in and they're reading the book and we, we've got to do that, we got to pull this engine or pull this transmission and the new guy's reading the book because he's never done it. He's like, 
we don't have this tool. We can't do it. And then mm-hmm. the, the older technician comes up there, and he takes a spit and a drink of his water, and he goes, they built the pyramids with nothing but big sticks. We're going to get that out because I got shit to do tomorrow. Okay, It's Friday. I've already made some commitments. <laughs> with or without you, we're getting that transmission on the ground. Yeah, that, that's a good can-do attitude you can apply. Anywhere. Well, he just poured a punch of belief in you. You sat there with your unbelief, and he's like, no, listen, I'm going to need you to believe. So I can get to the bar by five on yeah. Friday. So get your belief in gear, right? We're fixing to make squash real right here. Watch this. <laughs> yeah, with big equipment, man, there's big stakes involved. Oh, it was scared me, oh, man. The, the amount of money they would me. talk about they were spending you know, oh, by yeah. the minute the whenever a piece of equipment is down. So critical on that. And the the equipment that's coming out today is so sophisticated and the tolerances are so tight. You know, there was a time when the equipment you could you could miss a maintenance interval. You could run it a little past, and it was pretty forgiving. Today, that stuff has to be done. It has to be done right, or it'll down the machine. And people don't have spare $2 million machines sitting around. So yeah. every second, every revolution counts. And it's, it's a big business, very complex business, uh, large opportunity in that business. Yeah. So what was some of the opportunity you found outside of it? So you took that idea of with the heavy equipment, and some of the stuff you learned from there, and then we were able to apply it to where it benefited you instead of giving that to a corporation? Yeah, so I was in and out of it. I was Obviously, I started out as a technician. I worked as a field technician for many years, and I was really wanting to move into this like a support role, kind of like a field rep role, and I worked towards that goal, and I got, I got all the, they have some little training for the dealerships, and I got all that done, and worked another couple of years towards it, and I just, I really didn't feel like I was getting where I wanted to be. And there was an opportunity that came up at a, in, at a power plant, an industrial power plant. And it was really good pay, had some growth opportunity. So I went and talked to my boss, and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm really, I don't want to do this, but I feel like I can do more than what I'm doing. And technicians are in high demand, right? They're a very yeah. valuable resource for everybody. And more valuable than Bitcoin. Yeah, and he's, he's trying to talk me down. He's like, man, just... Stay, stay the course that the opportunity will come. It, it will be here. And I'm looking at this other one. And it's I'm already. Like, Man, I'm, I'm going to do it. So I pulled the trigger the first time. I went to work at this power plant. Again, I learned a lot about the industrial side of the world. Learned a lot about power generation and how all that's interconnected. But let's go back to your, your career story, because I think that what, what you did here is something that's available for a lot of people in the corporate world. You, you took a corporation who was giving you experience, who was compensating you for the experience, you learned from it, and then you said, well, I can, I can do this myself. Yeah, that, that actually came later. So uh, I spent several years at, at the power plant, and then this opportunity that I had wanted previously at the dealership, this outside sales, this support role, came available. It was a little bit outside of my area, but I'm like, that's what I've always wanted to do. I'm going to go for it, man. Yeah. I have nothing to lose. I'm really comfortable right here. This is going nowhere for, for 20 years. So I, if I get it or not, I'm going to be fine. So I made the decision. I applied for it. Uh, in fact, I think you sat in on the interview for that role. Oh, I'm sorry. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm I, sorry. I, I can, we can talk about that in a different segment, too. <laughs> That's but, a whole other show. Yeah. But <laughs> So anyways, I applied. I did get the job. They thought I was a good fit for that southern area, uh, just from the background and things like that. This was your sales rep role? Yes. Yeah, dude, you were like, I remember that. You were like manna from heaven when that came. Right. And, man, I, 
absolutely loved it. Probably to this day, the best job I've ever had. I worked with a lot of really great people, yeah. learned so much, got my introduction into the, the quarry, mining and quarry, and then just grew from there. Enjoyed that entire time. So we got through all that to get to this. So my family and I have always had a relatively small kind of mom and pop construction business, doing smaller jobs, nothing major. And my dad's aging, obviously. This this job that I had with the dealership was starting to go the other direction a little bit. So my customers were kind of going a different direction with some of their equipment. Things were really slowing down. I wasn't burnt out. I just wasn't challenged as much as I wanted to be. You're very alert to your call for more. So, yeah, at that point, we were at a place, and there were some people internally. They're no longer with the dealership, but they were really trying to put a lot of pressure. I just built a new facility for our little construction deal, and we were selling some John Deere tractors and hay balers and things like that, and they're watching it, and they're taking pictures of what's going on, and they're they're planting seeds in the dealership. Hey, this wow! This Taking guy's, pictures? Oh, absolutely. This, so, the, so the accusation is you're moonlighting here, yes, right? And yeah. that your interest would somehow be convoluted or in a state of contradiction. Yeah, that, that, you know, they were planting these seeds of conflict of interest, and he's not doing his job, and he's not showing up and taking care. Meanwhile, of Meanwhile, the customer bases are probably so far from each other. It's almost to even yeah. To I, even it, compare it, them. It, I don't even know how you would stretch to to sew that together, but it was happening. So uh, we get through some of that, and I have a I have a meeting with some of the regionals. They come down. They actually want to go out to my facility, look around, and I invite them. Ooh, to so do they've so. got you under the microscope. Yeah, and and they were very professional and courteous. They're like, we just we've been hearing a lot, and we need to be able to explain what's happening here. So I walked them around, and I said, look, here's what we're doing. I don't feel like this is a conflict, but I want you guys to know, full disclosure, I've got employees that work here, and I'm feeding their families, and I am 100% committed. So if I need to change direction or do something, I'm prepared to do so. I don't want to cause any problems. I want to do what's right, but I'm committed to these gentlemen right here. So you tell me what I need to do. And that conversation went really, I, I was really surprised by the response. They said, you know, we, we don't see a problem here, and we don't want to see a problem here. We think you're doing a great job. Carry on. So that rocked on a few months, and even though I was in the clear, I, I, that started planting some seeds with me. Well, and you had somebody who was, somebody, there was a human there that took an initiative against your well-being. And that is a hard thing to wring your hands out of. Absolutely. That was weighing on me pretty heavy. And I've always been very loyal to whatever company I work for. And I don't want to be that guy that's causing discontent. Or if anybody even has the thought that I'm doing something that's not ethical or with integrity to that company. So in about December, I made the decision, we're, we're doing decent. We may starve to death and we may fall on our face. Now's the time. We're going to launch it. So... I left that company. I started our little company. We had some challenges right off the bat because I don't have a background in business. I don't have a background in economics. I thought I knew of this business, (laughs) and I know the tools, and I know the equipment, and I know how to take care of people. The business side just about drowned us, (laughs) and we couldn't find people to help. That was what really surprised me. We went all around the local area trying to find accountants, trying to find people that could give us guidance. How do we do this? How do we do that? We want to do it right, and we want to make money. How do we do it? 
Nobody very, knows. Yeah, it was it was like a mystery. They would look at it and they're like, "This is a very complex business, and we don't know anything about it." Yeah, yeah. Which uh, means the universe was wanting you to learn it. So and and I did. Unfortunately, the way I learned is mistakes. And when you're a small business, those get really expensive really fast. <laughs> so I learned a lot in a very short period of time. But we continued to grow. We grew up, in, and these numbers are very small compared to the big world. But from a small guy to grow up to nine people in the first couple of years, yeah. that's pretty good growth, yeah. man. Just to cash flow your employees. Yeah. We paid very comparable to these billion-dollar dealerships. You have to because yeah. mm-hmm. those people are in such high demand. Yeah. Um, and anyway, so a dealership came by one day, and they, hey, we're – we're in the area, and we kind of solicited us a little bit, see if we were interested, and I thought about it, and I'm like, absolutely. This dealership is very solid. They can do things for my employees and my family and my community I could never do yeah. for the next 20 years. We're talking about benefits, growth in their careers, yeah. things like that. But this is all stuff that you brought into the town, into your existence, due to your ability to sense burnout coming on like when i hear your story that's what i hear you're you're an anti-burnout hero (laughs) you get to a point you've got your soul something within you calling for more more contribution you can give to the world and multiple times here you answered to it and instead of falling into that rut that would leave someone like myself maybe thinking that best idea is just to walk the world homeless (laughs) you went out and built something like this and, and got a huge benefit on the backside this sounds good yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so proud and I'm so honored to be a part of bringing these big dealerships to, to my local community because yeah, otherwise yeah. it would have never happened, I promise you. But when you're doing that, when it's, when it's, when it's your business that you grew from nothing, mm. that's your child, man. Absolutely. And the hardest part of this, and I believe me, I'm saying this as humbly as possible, the hardest part of this, it's like taking your child to the emergency room and you hand your child to somebody and you go, I pray that these people know better than me because they've got education and they've got experience how to fix my child and make it better, make it grow into way more than I ever could have. Yeah. And you talk about a struggle, man. Yeah. That's tough. Well, and I think the the way you got it to where you did was all the way through, I hear you talking about this, when you talk about your growth or what your business has done, almost at no point do you mean do you bring up money. Like when you've talked about your growth, it's being up to nine people. When you've talked about what they can do, it's not grow your bottom line from this to this. It's what they can provide for your people. And your your mentality around that is, has been what's taken it up to this point. I don't see how a corporation can continue the, the, the love and personal attention that you've given to it. But if nothing else, you've definitely put it into a place that, who knows, maybe we'll yeah. see what they can do. And, and you also had a, you had a moment there where you, you almost had to give your child up for adoption because you knew there was something better for that child outside of your hands. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And we fight. You know, he and I are built, we're building a podcast. What does that mean? That means you've got nothing. And now you're trying to do something with it. And I think at all times we think there's something I do. You may you may think this is incredible. I always think I'm messing it up or I've said something that's gonna screw up the kid, or I shouldn't have done it that way, and now I gotta pay some circumstance that I'm yet to see. You always feel like you're you don't quite have it right. And I think that's like growing a business is very much like parenting. Because you always you feel that with your kids like I know I'm doing my best morally. I'm trying to pour into them. 
but I also have this fear that I'm screwing the up. The constant grasp for better, to be better, you to grow it. yourself, grow your business, grow your employees. What can you do for your family, for their family, for the community? If it benefits them, do it. Yeah. Don't even think about it. Just do it, man. Yeah. And don't do it for the sake of money. <laughs> yeah, don't do not do it for it's the money. It's just the vehicle that moves the things around, the energy we need. But in the end, a big pile of money is not what's going to make us happy. We all like money, right? I like money because I like things. That's my <laughs> problem. I like to have things, and it takes money to get things. I'm trying to cut that narrative out. I am in the process of trying to figure out how to get through this life without money. I'm telling you right now, when I grow up, I want to be broke, <laughs> and I want to love it. Well, I, man, there's going to be some way. I think I, if you just keep <laughs> podcasting, eventually you'll run out of money. Right. Well, I, I mean, for <laughs> what it's worth, I've been without money, and I've had money, and I know which one I like better. <laughs> <laughs> so so before we went down to your journey, there, there's something there that you've done that I think it's available to more people than they realize. There are a lot of people that are in, people that are in corporations that have been trained to do something, that can be a skill. And you got close to that. Now, you didn't know how to be an accountant at a, at a heavy equipment dealership. You didn't know how to be accounts payable. But you knew enough, and you also knew that at the heart of what you had learned was the ability to transact on what you had learned. And I think there are a lot of people in corporations that if you're managing 10 people and you develop an expertise that a market will pay for, you've got a small business in your hands. You just don't have the step. And the step is the scary one, the having to be everything to run a business. But you had the skill set that the market would pay for, right? And, and you're not turning a wrench anymore, but that is the value. I bring you something broken and you fix it. Now you're leading other people to fix broken things. And I think if you're in a corporate environment and you've developed a skill set that the market will transact on, you have a small business under your feet. You just haven't taken the walk in that direction. And nothing is simple. Like you said, nights of nervousness. And you reminded me a little bit of when I, when I bought my first commercial property. I couldn't stay out of the bathroom, man. I couldn't stay out of the bathroom for over a week. I thought the world was going to end. But then you get through it, and nobody can tell you how to navigate that fear. You have to do it on your own. And you get on the other side of that, and you go, wow, I could have done this. I had this capability the whole time. Yeah, I think a part of that, too, you have to have a passion for wherever you're at in, in that dealership or in that commercial zone. So to your point, if you've got these people and you're managing them and you're doing a really great job and you're thinking about, hey, I can do this for the company, I can do this for myself, right? Really take some time and invest in that thought and make sure, is this what I want to do for myself? Do I have a passion for this? Or am I doing it to check the box so that I can go home to my nice house and my nice car and go watch my kid play softball at the end of the day? Because when you take that step, those things go away. That business is going to be your passion for at least five years until you get it up and going. Because yeah. it takes 110% of anything you've ever done and 200% of the things you've never done. To make that thing go. I wish our podcast coach would have told us this. Yeah. Well, you're right. It's it's never as it's never as easy. And man, when you step out and start building something from scratch, it's one of the scarier things you can ever do. But it's only kind of scary once. To your statement, it's always it's what what do you say about it being kinky? It's, all, it's only kinky the first time. It's only kinky the first time, right? And and then once you've learned how to build a business, that's kind of a skill that you have innate to you. 
moving forward. What I really like about your story is you see these opportunities, and then I think you see the ability to not just be a bystander in the opportunity, but but to, to drag the thing forward into something that has value, not only to employees that you're feeding, but also the market who's machine you're putting back together so they can move on to whatever they're transacting on. Yeah, you know, on the way up, I was thinking this morning, especially in the contrast of the big cities and the small towns, kind of circling back to some of those. Big business and small business have a lot of those same contrast. But what's interesting, what occurred to me earlier is they both want what the other has, right? If you're a small business, you want the resources that big business has. You want to be able to go out and do all those things for your employees that you can't because you've got those resources, because you're so successful. You want to have the political power to go push things forward and make things happen. But as a small business, you can't because you don't have the resources. What you do have is the connection to your employees and to your customers. For example, Joe Bob walks into my business and goes, hey, Tyler, I need this gasket for whatever. We've got a history. I already know what he's talking about. I send my guy back there. He brings it up front. Hey, when can you come put this on? Well, my guy's busy today. He's got a softball game after work, and they've been having trouble. And then we talk about that for a little bit. And he goes, you know what? Just whenever you guys get to it, that'll be fine. Walk out, everybody's happy. Right? That familiarity greases Absolutely. the transaction. So the big business, unfortunately, they want that so desperately. But it's so hard to grasp when you're a big business because you're so heavy. You have to hire those local people. And to some extent, a lot of them are just there to check the box and get on to the mall. And the the rules come into play, too. The more people you get involved in a business, the more control you have to have in order to get the behavior where you want it. Absolutely. So Joe Bob walks into big business and says, hey, I need that gasket for so-and-so. And And I go, okay, but I'm going to need your ID your tax-exempt number, your hair color, your blood type, and a credit application. That's, that's that, you know, you that, already that lack of that personal right connection. there. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. well, we've got all that done. We've got your blood test scheduled next week. When can you come put my gasket on now? Um, you're going to have to schedule that with the service department, and I'm going to give you their number, and then whenever they can get to you, they'll call you back or send you a text. You, you start getting a disconnect there. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of big businesses are really investing to try to drive that back. They're spending a lot of money. They're doing a lot of training. A lot of them do a really great job of it. But they want the things that the little business already has, and the little business wants the resources the big business has. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's an interesting dichotomy. And I, I think personalities in the small business, they're allowed more, they're allowed more decision-making power they're allowed to, to to make the situation right, as we would say, to and and to come to a conclusion. You know, one of one of the bigger challenges I always face in a big organization. You would find this write-off that you had to get to, and that thing would linger for a month or two, because somebody wouldn't have the conversation with somebody that was going to either get upset or say, "Yeah, whatever," but it, it would just stall, and so you'd have these transactions that would just sit off in this purgatory waiting on a conversation to be had that, for whatever reason, somebody was scared to have. And I, I think you can remove that in a, in a small business world. Yeah, I, I love the fact that, you know, if somebody wasn't satisfied with something we were doing or if we were working through some of those problems, because let's face it, we're all humans. And technicians, there are so many opportunities to make a mistake oh. and cost tens of thousands of dollars worth of damage. 
and they're innocent mistakes, man. I mean, it's so simple. They're so complex. So mistakes happen. We walk back in the office. Here's what I would like to do. What do you think, Mr. Customer? When we get done, when we walk out of there, that deal is made. We're both going to walk away as satisfied as we can be. And I feel confident that I've done the right thing. And and they're going to be happy that they were able to work it out there. To your point, that same deal, we're kicking that can for months, man. Big business. Because we got to get this guy involved. It's too many people. He doesn't like the way that was going. And in the meantime, this machine is still down because we haven't made that decision yet. So the customer, by the time you get back to him, that that rage level has jumped about ten notches at that yeah. point. <laughs> and now he doesn't he doesn't really have that much trust in you anymore because he knows next time we come to some place where we gotta we gotta break bread over a write off, you're gonna you're yep. gonna have to pull back. Why you're am I have, talking you're to, have to you? Pause for a while. Why am I talking to you? Because you can't do you anything for me. Yeah. yeah. And and I think that in a big business, the further you get away from the human that's impacted, the easier it is for you to say no. I won't help them. Oh, absolutely. If and you're right on that relationship, you're going to help them because you are in that relationship. And you felt that with management before. The further you get away from a decision, the easier it is for you to make the decision something that somebody doesn't you want can to make It's some, more unpleasant down yeah, the line. You the, can the, make some very cold decisions when it's removed from your general side. It's real man. easy. Yeah, I would basically say right now, any organization you're in that has a, high, a, a tall hierarchical structure, like if you're a, a supervisor who has a manager, who has a reason manager, who has a sectional manager, you, yeah. you're in that hierarchical yeah. mode. Yeah, somebody at the top who's six layers removed can almost tell you to go out and execute someone. Yeah. <laughs> And they're not going to feel it. Yeah, and yeah. that's what you see anytime there's hierarchy, somebody at the top putting decisions into place for you know, somebody I, at the bottom. I think one of the other things with that is as you're going up through, as that storyline is going through the different levels, mm-hmm. it, it changes ever slightly to the next level. Absolutely. So the people at the top or the people that are the key decision makers, they most likely want to do what everybody else wants to do, which is a decision with ethics and integrity and things like that. However, that storyline has been changed so much by the time it gets up there that it's a no-brainer. Why am I even answering this question? Because of the way the storyline plays at that level. Well, and usually by the time it gets to that level, all the story is anymore is the money. <laughs> Nobody remembers the backstory. How it started. How or it did. What, what this customer's yeah. done for us in the past. What the history is or what the future is going to be. Yeah, they, they just look at some bottom line. And, and again, that's where some very uh, negatively impactful decisions can be made from a distance. There's not a lot of heart in being a number, mm-hmm. right? It's almost the antithesis of heart. And, and that's what that's the difference in a small business. You're, you're heart to heart, right, versus 17 hearts removed. Yeah, but, you know, the, the other side of that's uh, – those businesses have the ability to do that and offer all these things for my employees that I have sold my business to and offer all these things for my community because they have those people that will make those decisions. And as a small business owner, I've made some very difficult decisions. I mean, we've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars on reworks, warranty claims, whatever, because I made the conscious decision, we're at error. And we're going to take care of that customer because he could grow us later. Mm. Now, that held us back. And I don't like talking about money, but I'm, it comes into play. At the end of the day, it's a business. For me to grow you, for me to feed your family, A plus B has to equal C. Yeah. And if it doesn't, I'm going to have to change A or B. And I don't want to, but I don't have a choice. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's a period that comes at the end of every sentence in business. It, it has to be there or the rest of the sentence becomes irrelevant. And so, if it don't make dollars, it don't make sense. Yeah, and that's hard, that's hard as a manager. That's hard as an employee because you do – oftentimes you know what the right thing is, but then you have this pause about what the right thing means to you and what – if you're in a middle management role, you wonder what they think that decision will make of you or how it will reflect on you. Yeah, the only thing I hated about owning my own business was the money. If it wasn't for the money, I loved everything else. The people and the customers were I knew how to take care of my people. I knew how to take care of my customers. It's the money thing that always hangs you up. Yeah, it's a challenge. It gets all of us. It gets all of us. I've I've been excited for you to be on the show. I'm glad you decided to come over here. And and I hope that whoever's listening to this, your story about getting your hands involved in something and then making hard decisions when it seemed like, I, I can decide for myself or I can decide for others. Oftentimes, maybe the decision's somewhere in the middle where you're, you're doing good for both. And so we're, we're excited to have you here. I'm excited to, to learn what we learned about southeastern Oklahoma, and I'd love to see you on here again someday. Oh, yeah. Thank you, James. It's, it's truly been an honor to be up here. It's, it's been quite a roller coaster. Uh, I would only hope through my ignorance and my, my learning, because, I, again, I only learn one way, if somebody can just take away one instance where they better themselves, their family, or their community, man, go do it. Be careful, but go do it. And when you commit to it, go all the way. You can't be you can't be half in, half out, one foot in, one foot out. You got to be committed. Yeah. You got to get busy living or get busy dying. Absolutely. And I tell you, if you're not getting busy living, you got burnout at the other side of yeah, it. Yeah. If it smells like passion, keep sniffing. Take a bigger whiff and a bigger whiff because passion doesn't show up and slap you in the face. Say, hey, I'm passion. Here I am. Absolutely. You got to chase your intuition until you get the feedback that you know is passion. All right, then. Here we go. We're going to start chasing our passions now. We would like to thank you for listening to the Feral Minds podcast. Hopefully, we triggered some curiosity that will have you seeking more. Remember, your mind is meant to run. Slap some sneakers on that bad boy and take it around the block. If you'd like to connect with us or enlist our feral thoughts on a problem in your life, visit us on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or at theferalminds.com. Also remember, our thought line is always available 24-7. We don't even allow it to sleep. And we want to hear from you. That number is 866-340-3394. Again, that number is 866-340-3394. We look forward to hearing from you.